once you go once you go remote, it's really difficult to readjust and go back to people, you know, grunting at you if you if you walk into the office at you know five to nine and you want to go and make a coffee, you know. My name is Mick Karshavsky and welcome to episode 24 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by my friend and fellow Varna fan, Matt Litherland. Matt and I met a few years ago while I was living in Varna, and since then, Matt has gone on to start a very interesting company in the competitive gaming and esports industry called Flytro, helping shed light on how your fitness and health affect your gaming performance. In this wide-ranging conversation, Matt and I talked about the state of competitive gaming, how he got started working in the industry, and his winding journey to starting a company along with why Varna Bulgaria is such a great summer destination for nomads and location independent entrepreneurs such as himself. If you enjoy this interview and want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review so you never miss an episode. With that out of the way, let's jump into this week's interview with Matt Litherland. All right, Matt. Well, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a long time coming because we've known each other for several years now um, because you live in Varna at least part-time where I base myself during the summer. And actually, you're the other admin of the uh, Varna Digital Nomads group. So uh, thanks for helping. (laughs) Of course, anytime, you know, I can can hand it over and hand that. But um, yeah, so I think what I really want to chat about because you have such an interesting background um currently you are the are you the ceo or like what is your exact position in flytro uh yeah so i'm the founder and ceo um okay yeah we, we set up the business in april yeah after i uh i quit the job the day job so to speak <laughs> yeah so i definitely want to talk about that do you want to just give people like a very quick understanding of what flytro is so that they can see if this is something that you know they would be interested in but then we can definitely like dive into a deeper like later yeah it's um it's a health and performance uh app that uh through d- data visualization uh shows gamers how their performance in the game is affected by their health and their activity so the more sleep they have on a more regular basis um if they're hitting that sort of eight hour threshold then they can see how uh that affects their concentration in game their their individual performance and consistency yeah so essentially it's showing gamers that their health matters and it's showing how them taking care of themselves actually increases their performance in video games right absolutely yeah yeah that's exactly right and so how did you like because e-games you know and like gaming is not this isn't like your first venture into that world how did you like first get started with that whole world so we're going back to my my childhood really i i got into competitive gaming on a serious kind of level when i was sort of 12 13 so we're talking 20 years ago so that's how long i've been involved in some way be it a participant or uh, an employee you know or a founder but i've been involved in the gaming industry for that long 
Um, and what then, exactly does competitive gaming like? What does that mean for the for those of us that don't that don't understand? So you, you have your casual gamers, people who pick up and play. You know, like your PlayStation. Uh, you might, you know, stick on the TV for half an hour or an hour and then play some FIFA or you know play some games on on there. And then you have casual gamers on PC as well, um, which is a pl- you know, the platform that I tend to play mostly on uh, is PC. But the competitive side is is the the concept of uh, friends and players going into teams together and then uh, participating at competitions uh, for you know for a um, financial reward. So that industry, that side of the industry, has um, has been growing steadily over those over that twenty year period. But really, in the last sort of ten years, it's just exploded. And then to put that context on on how uh, big some of those competitions are uh, and what the sort of finances are uh, are like in the industry, um, Red Bull owns a team called OG. Uh, and this team just played in Shanghai a couple of weeks ago where they won, uh, it's about $34 million was the prize pool for that event. Yeah, and they've just won that event for the second time. Um, and each year that, that prize pool seems to be increasing. You know, I mean, it was blowing everyone's mind when it was getting to a million and two million, five million and seven million and so on. And now it's, it's, it's uh, I think, from a single competition uh or as a single competition i think it's one of the most lucrative events uh in both traditional sports and in esports so so do do people who because man i'm like 26 and i should know more about this because i feel like this is something that people my age know more about but i don't um so is it something like where you have the teams and do those does a specific team compete in just a specific game or will they exactly. like switch different games okay. yeah exactly so they you have fifa teams you have uh, call of duty teams um and you know to name titles that some of the listeners might recognize as well uh league of legends and dota uh are some of the biggest ones and then uh and then another one of the other most popular ones is uh, Counter Strike, which is uh, a game that started in 1999 and then has just been re- reiterated over and over uh, to keep up with the sort of graphical demands. Um, yeah, yeah, I you, you I, rem- I remember playing Counter Strike as a kid in Bulgaria. Yeah, so yeah it's been around yeah. for forever. It's it's been around a long time, uh, and it, it's funny now because now you're getting professional players you know, at the age of sort of 17, who were born after this game, you know, became... Yeah, the game's older than them. Yeah, the game's older than them. So it's, you know, that's nuts. And it's it's kind of cool, you know, to see that. But um, but yeah, the the, you have, you essentially have professional organizations. Um, You know, one of the biggest is a a UK-based organization called Fnatic. uh, And representing Fnatic is uh, a Counter-Strike team. And then they have, mm. you know, other teams, uh, like there's a new um, Battle Royale game called Apex Legends uh, that's growing in popularity at the moment. You know, so they have an Apex Legend team, they have a Counter-Strike team and so on. So it's almost like a music label was back in the day, you know, like a, a music label that has like several artists under them and sort of like this company has several teams under them that play for different games. 
Yeah, similarly, you know, yeah, that's not not a bad comparison. You can, it's it's just as if um, it's it's like Barcelona football club. They've got their football team, and then they've also got uh, a Rocket League team, which is like a uh, it's like a foot it's like a soccer or football game that is um, you know you're driving uh, cars around, and then they have like mm-hmm. turbo boost, and it's a really fun game to watch. And it's I've played it a little bit. It's very difficult. Uh, you know, so so you can appreciate the level of skill that some of these guys are are, are coming into the game with. But yeah, it, you know, so traditional football clubs uh, and traditional sports brands um, are also investing in this. So you've got mm. lots of football teams have invested in FIFA. Uh, that was their, you know, that's a logical entry point for them. Yeah, and then you've got um, uh, the sixty ers at this point, I just want to jump in really quickly and mention that a few times you're going to hear Matt refer to the 69ers, uh, and actually what he's talking about are the Philadelphia basketball team, the 76ers. In the US, they bought a UK uh, company called Dignitas. Uh, I think that was the one of the first acquisitions of an esports organization by a traditional sports uh, club or um, mm. franchise essentially i think the 69 is a franchise um but yeah the owners of that franchise bought out the the dignitas brand but what they've done uh rather rather cleverly is they've they've maintained a different uh most of them have maintained a different brand for their esports side from their um their football club or you know american football or basketball side and the reason one of the reasons as i understand it for doing that is that you know people who aren't necessarily interested in soccer might start becoming more interested in soccer through uh understanding the relationship with that team yeah um so i think it's um fanatic are in partnership with um with roma the football club roma um and they have a and yeah, and they have a FIFA team. So how did you? So you were a gamer. You were somebody who was competing in this. Um, how did you then enter kind of like this world as somebody working in it? So yeah, so one of the reasons I got into doing web development and web design was because mm-hmm. I was I wanted to make a website for my team when I was. Okay. I think it was in my first year of high school so i'd have been about 11 or 12 and uh yeah so that's how i got into wanting to do web design from that sort of age and then as i took that on as a profession after you know after graduating school and whatnot i started working with agencies um which is you know the natural sort of right uh, growth for for a web designer. So I started out in the, from the design, then the code. Started working with agencies, and then as the esports industry has grown in size, uh, so too has has the infrastructure of of business around that um, around those teams and around those players. So opportunities have started, you know, uh, presenting themselves over the last several years. Um, so I had the uh, opportunity to work with uh, one of the bigger Swedish teams um, as their essentially as their CTO, so managing their 
their online presence, their website, designing and building their websites and their shops, uh, you know, looking at conversion rates for sales, kind of like a, a bit of a does everything kind of tech mm-hmm. position, you know, within that company. And that's to bring like the to bring like the musical kind of relation again you're almost like the manager of the team in a way like managing all the like sales and stuff like that while kind of like the performers did their thing right yeah my understanding correct okay i would i would say to a degree yeah um but Mm -hmm. a a lot of these companies now that you know they have a large infrastructure of staff now so you've got people who are specifically looking at marketing specifically looking at partnerships Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these teams are now doing partnerships with content creators. So Twitch streamers, YouTubers, uh, it's not just, um, it's multifaceted. It's not just uh, restricted now to just the esports teams and players. That um, th- the concept of the gaming industry is, is growing and many people's uh, path into wanting to watch competitive gaming is through enjoying the content of say ninja uh mm. i was gonna say on twitch but he, he's not on twitch anymore uh, i think he's on mixer uh, competitor to twitch but but yeah so there is there, you know there are people who are operations directors who are looking after the team making sure their hotels are booked flights are booked making sure they've got visas for the for the schedules uh you know for the the schedules of the players is extremely hectic so you know one week they're in shanghai next week they're in katowice in poland and you know the week after that they're in san francisco so they're always you know uh competing at events <clears throat> throughout the year uh and they need a good infrastructure of, of staff to you know keep the business moving forward as well as keeping all the operations and logistics on course mm. You know, and my job was really just looking at sales. Uh, once the once the website was created and up, uh, looking at the analytics and data, getting people to use the site and convert, looking at uh, sales prices online, you know, uh, looking at trends and conversions, different times of year. You know, were we were we improving sales before competitions or after we've won a competition? All that sort of stuff. So you started working for this company or this team, I should say. Um, and then is that when you kind of the whole remote work part of your life came into being or were you working remotely before? Yeah, so I, it's a difficult one to answer because I've I've sort of toyed with remote work and then gone back. And then w- once you go once you go remote, it's really difficult to readjust and go back to people, you know, grunting at you. If you, if you walk into the <laughs> office at, you know, yeah. five to nine and you want to go and make a coffee, you know, cause, uh, right, right. you know, people like you to be sat down at your desk working from nine and then, st- you know, and then at five o'clock, then you can turn your computer off and go home. But, um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've done the kind of full circle and then come back to remote again. Um, so the first agency I worked with was in my sort of home city, which was Liverpool. I then went from that straight away to working remotely for that company because I wanted to do another, uh, ski season in the Alps, which I'd, I'd done one before at that time. So 
my boss at the time, Dan, um, agreed to give it a go, you know, and, and this was 2000 and yeah, this was 2008. So it was a long so time. So pretty early ago. on in the, yeah. 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 And these, you know, these, these were, this was a concept that we didn't know if it was going to work. You know, uh, there wasn't a lot of information online about, um, how to make something like that work, but also, you know, remote, you know, people have always employed remotely, you know, we were employing, um, you know, a guy, a guy based in the Ukraine, um, Mm -hmm. who was a developer as well. So we knew that, you know, we could, we could make it all work, um, which we did. So we, we made that work for another season, another ski season. So I was, I, I moved out in, sort of 2008 around the November came back in, it would have been around May, you know, at the end of the ski season. And then I'm trying to remember what I did next. I think then I tried to then, well, I did um, set up my own web design agency. So that was essentially, you know, because I wasn't renting office space, you know, you could essentially say that was remote or nomadic because I was doing that on the go. Um, It was the first time I really, invested in a decent laptop and all that you know to to enable myself to be more um mobile so um yeah so i did that for a few years and then i really got the bug then um to rather than help um entrepreneurs build their dreams i wanted to build my own dream and i didn't want to do uh, a new project every uh you know, every couple of months, I didn't want to be switching from one project to another to another, which had been my background beforehand. You know, I wanted to focus on my own project uh, and make mm-hmm. that my core focus for the next several years. Um, so that's when I started becoming more entrepreneurial. But then obviously there's finding a good idea and trying to make it fly, so to speak. And also knowing how to like execute on it. Cause I think that that's, I mean, I think a lot of people have good ideas, but I think a very small percentage of them have the resources or the knowledge on how to actually like execute on said good idea. Absolutely. And at the time I was not equipped to be able to do it mm-hmm. on my own, you know, and I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I stretched my finances beyond belief, you know, uh, <laughs> Um, I was, and you, you constantly, you know, everyone wants to get paid, right? Uh, so trying to find someone who has the skill set to um, to match, you know, what you can bring to a to a startup. They also have to have that entrepreneurial um, spirit, bug. you know, bug, yeah. yeah. And and trying to find someone like that that is equipped with the knowledge is difficult because, you know, web developers, um, full stack engineers, you know, they get paid a lot of money. So, you know, for them, there's a there's a there's a the relative risk of pursuing something of their own um, is is much greater, both financially and, and I would say time consuming um, because that time that they spend developing you know, could be spent working for a client and, and, you know, making some good, uh, some, some good cash in the bank, you know, for security and all, all the other purposes of income. But yeah, so it was trying to find the right people. Um, and it was really, we're still looking at the last sort of six years here. Cause I moved from, from doing that. I, I sort of, uh, 
I went back to work for an agency. I felt like I needed more experience and I needed to equip myself with more um, knowledge in order to start doing this. So I went back to an agency in the UK, uh, worked on some great brands at the time, like Red Bull and so on. Um, but then, you know, I hated it at that point. Once I'd gone back into an office, I just couldn't stand it. You know, um, the other thing is there are in all walks of life, people who, uh, slip into roles and positions within a company that you don't necessarily feel have that knowledge. Um, Mm -hmm. and therefore it's difficult. You know, I've always found it difficult to work in, in a team of people that I wouldn't personally want to hire myself. You know, it's the famous question, right? You know, can you work in a team? And I'm like, you know, my answer to that is always, well, yeah, if it's, if it's my team. Right. You know, or, it, or a team of people that you respect, essentially, right? If they yeah. got in there because of company politics, then it's... Exactly. And that's know. what I mean, you know, so it has to, you have to, everyone has to feel like it's their team. You know, they all have to mm. care equally. And there are, you know, unfortunately, there are always people in those teams, you know, uh, in different places that don't necessarily fit that team. Um, just like in sports, right? You know, some players get transferred out and some people come in, you know, get bought for lots of money and they don't, they, they just don't gel well. Um, so it's finding, it was finding all of that. And, and that was also a learning curve for myself because it taught me that actually I can't work without anyone and everyone. Um, and also, you know, it was a learning curve for me with, uh, with self-discipline, um, understanding that, you know, there are people who want to work as, as hard as you, but may, ne- may not necessarily have all the knowledge to do so. So helping them is important and, you know, not treating, you know, treating people kindly as well in a workplace where, you know, if, if someone shows the, that they want to work hard, then, you know, help them. Don't right. belittle those Empower people. Empower them, yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. So you you worked at these agencies. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of did your own thing and you went back to an agency and then you started working for the Swedish team, correct? Yeah. Because when we met in Bulgaria, you were doing that. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I went back to that agency in, in the UK. I then decided I needed to travel again. So I went to Toronto. And I got a job out, out in Toronto, uh, stayed there for about a year and then came back and I still wasn't quite ready to make the jump. And I got an opportunity to work in an investment, a technology investment company uh, based in Manchester in the UK. And that actually equipped me with a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, you know, positive information and, understanding of startups like real startups with financial backing that are taking you know high risks uh Mm. and that really helped me understand uh truly understand how to create a lean startup um so making the most out of a very small team you know before agencies you know you have six designers you have six developers and you know if you don't know how to do something you can always ask one of your colleagues who has that experience or or whatnot so moving them to startups um who are trying to do everything with a very very small team 
you know, you, you start to appreciate a, a slightly different formula for, for building up a company. Um, and I wanted to get back into esports as much as possible. So uh, the opportunity then with, with this team in Sweden, uh, that was presented to me. And, and yeah, as soon as, as soon as I got that, that option, I moved over to Bulgaria, uh, because... Yeah, what brought you to Bulgaria? Because that's a that's a very <laughs> odd jump to make after spending time in Toronto and England. And, yeah, you know, so my all these other fiance places. or my now fiance uh, rally, we met several years ago um, when I was uh, in Ibiza. She was working out in Ibiza at the time, and I was actually on holiday. At, uh, and we just maintained sort of uh, communication over the years. And we both sort of went in and out of different relationships with other people. Uh, and eventually, I popped her a message at Christmas. She was online on Skype. And I was working late on like Christmas Eve or something. And I literally just said, you know, hey, how are you? You know, happy Christmas. And we just started chatting away. So we, we carried on chatting for the next couple of weeks. And then by the March, I came over to Varna for the first time. Uh, the weather was awful, and I remember thinking, "Oh, oh, the, the the Eastern Europe is grim." And then came back in June for the whole summer, and just been like, "Wow, this is a totally different place." You know, the the trees had all blossomed, the sea garden here had, had blossomed, all the parks look nice, all the plants and flowers are in the middle of the roads, and. You know, and it just looked, it, you know, it looked like a, it looked like a completely different metropolis, you know. It's, it's so funny because I, uh, so Sarah, my girlfriend has never been to Bulgaria in the winter and she keeps saying how she wants to come to Varna for a winter. And I'm telling her, babe, Varna's amazing <laughs> in the summer, <laughs> but there's a reason why we come only during the summer. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There was some, uh, chaps in the, in the, in the, one of the local pubs from the UK here uh at the weekend and they asked me the same thing they said oh it's lovely varna isn't it and i said yeah yeah it's 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 gorgeous and they said you know is it like this all year round and i said no no the winter the winter's pretty grim <laughs> you know it's very yeah. very cold uh i step out onto my balcony in the winter for 15 seconds in full clothes and i'm like no no i'm going back in it's just too yeah it's it's, it's an cold. Arctic wind, you know, that yeah. comes down from the north because you know you got the Black Sea there and you got nothing blocking it, and that stuff just rolls on in, you know, in the in the winter. But so, and you, how was how was living in Varna, and like, why did you, you know, other than the nice things and the nice plants and sea gardens and such, what made you stay? Yeah, the immediate advantage of of being in Bulgaria is the economy. So, you know, it's a a lot. I always promised myself that I would be happier making less money if it meant the quality of my life was better. And by quality of life, I meant more time to enjoy myself and appreciate time off and, you know, appreciate the weather and all that sort of thing and eat healthier and enjoy, you know, expensive food, for, you know, by, by the, by the comparison of say the UK. Right. So I, at the time, uh, just before I moved to the to Varna, I was paying, I think I was paying about eighteen hundred a month rent for my 
two-bed apartment in Manchester. And, then, and it's pounds or dollars? Pounds, yeah. Woo. Then I was paying my council tax on top of that. Then you've got your internet, your water, your gas and electric bills. And then I've got to, you know, feed myself. And I just felt all the like, And I could do that relatively comfortably, you know, and I could still, you know, uh, go out and do things. But I always felt um, suffocated by bills. Mm. You know, I felt like I was paying a lot for not for not much, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, one of the most immediate advantages of moving to um, Tavana was like, you know, I, I was just immediately saving, you know, about two thousand pounds every month. Com- you know, that I wouldn't I would never even have seen in, in the UK because it just goes on bills. It just disappears. To give people a little comparison, you know, you just kind of like named off what living costs in, you know, Manchester. I think you said you were. Yeah. What do you pay now for, you know, like things in, in Varna? And is that like a similar quality or like are you going out to nicer restaurants and nicer bars and et cetera? I'm going out more often. Like so in the summer, it's, you know, we really enjoy going down to the uh, going down to the beach and, you know, having a little meal on the beach and just, in, you know, just slowing down the grind of the day, right? So yeah, it's where I saw you last was at the beach in Bulgaria over dinner. You know, you, yeah. you guys were having dinner right yeah, next yeah, to us exactly. by accident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, in a lovely little restaurant, I might add. So yeah, it is a lovely little restaurant. It, it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's called Pechkata for anybody who's listening. Is just like, why aren't you fucking saying what restaurant this is? <laughs> I always get the name of it wrong. Um, and there's a swear word, isn't there, in Bulgarian that doesn't sound too dissimilar to the name of the restaurant. I'm not going to say it, but <laughs> I can never remember it. And I always get the two mixed up. Anyway, yeah, so the difference in cost of living was that there's a, there's a personal cost, a non-financial cost, right? And that's being able to, mm. you know, at five, six o'clock, you know, the weather's still nice and warm. The sun's up for another few hours, you know, just going down for a walk on the beach and getting something to eat that's nice and chilling, maybe have a beer or whatever and just relax. And then, and then, you know, because of the, um, the nomad community here in the summer, you know, then you can bump into people and have a chat about, uh, about things that sort of, you know, get your gears going. Right. So about tech and Mm. about startups and, sharing ideas and all that sort of stuff so you know there's uh it's a much better way of life but i was my rent here is is it five it's about 500 lev in the city so about 300 dollars per month yeah or 250 ish uh, pounds so i'm yeah i'm paying 10 times less almost you know uh Uh to live here than i was in uh, Manchester and I get and that's not out. a you know yeah. and that's not a hole you know I see behind you it looks nice you know you're in the center of the city you said yeah, so yeah, you know that's yeah. not like some cheap dump you know yeah, yeah yeah no it's it's good it's good fully air-conned and all the rest of it so you're not melting <laughs> in the summer but um and heated in the winter importantly but uh no no it's nice, <laughs> it's nice. jokes aside it's, it's nice and it's about it's it's of a similar quality to what I had in in it's it's one less bedroom uh, than the place I had in Manchester, but it's of a similar quality. Um, mm. So, 
And you mentioned the nomad community in Varna. What is what has that been like, and has that been surprising, or like how do you how do you feel about just that community in Varna? I feel almost like the it's a it's a nice community because you have there are a few people who are quite experienced with uh, remote nomading, but then there are also people who are just finding their feet with it. So you get to meet a really interesting. Um, group of people who are on completely um opposite ends of their remote path you know Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really nice perspective uh that you get here um i've not really spent too much time other than in the mountains with uh, with other remote um communities um you know nomad Mm -hmm. communities digital nomads but um so my experience isn't, isn't hugely great. You know, I've, I've, I've also always been one of these people that avoids co-working spaces mainly because I like to have, um, you know, a larger setup, um, with my computers, you know, I have my Mac and my PC and my multiple screens and things for when I'm doing, you know, hardcore development sessions. Um, but I do, I've been training myself to, to get out with the laptop more and, and meet other people, um, that are, Mm -hmm either based here full time from other countries or that are actually nomading and through the summer you get to meet some of those people. Um, and there's a deep, there's a very, there's a nice growing community here now. Um, and people are now, you know, a lot of people's remote journeys are, I want to explore the whole world. Right. Whereas you're now getting people that are like, I'll definitely come back to Varna, you know? So mm. each year they're thinking about coming back to Varna, which I think is really nice. Yeah, I think you know it. It was funny because when when I started the the digital nomad group, I didn't know like what was going to happen. And what we found is that there are a lot of people there, but they were just sort of like not connected yet. They didn't know about each other, and so it's been really interesting to kind of like discover that there are people coming uh, yeah, here so that they're there, which is great. That's yeah, yeah. You nailed it. I was here for oh, I was probably here for. A, about eight months before I figured out there's a digital nomad Varna group, you know? <laughs> and then I was like, yeah. so I, you know, when I first moved here, I didn't have many, many friends of my own, so to speak. You know, I was uh, piggybacking uh, the relationships and friendships that um, my fiance uh, has, which was fine, you know, but, um, it doesn't somewhere doesn't really feel like your home until you make it your own. Right. And Mm. once I found the, I, you know, so I was sort of struggling on a Friday or Saturday after I'd been working all week to think I'd like to go out, you know, and, you know, let loose a little bit, have a, have a couple of beers and a chat, but I didn't have that many people to go out with. And most of the people I, I know are all Bulgarian at this point. Once I found the digital nomad group, it was like, I, I had, endless options of people to go out with you know i could just pop a little message into the group saying i'm gonna be at this bar on friday about seven and six people would turn up you know so mm. the yeah it's it's it is a it's a community now um and it feels like a community uh and it's just getting bigger and bigger you know there there's more things happening with uh with one of the co-working spaces here um you know that that it looks like it's getting more attraction outs from from people 
who are experienced remote uh, nomads and they've just kind of discovered Bulgaria, you know, through blogs or whatever, and they found out about us, and now they've come here, connected through the group, and yeah, it, it's good to see. Yeah, it's definitely growing, and I mean, the first year when I came back, there was no co-working space, or the co-working space that was there was, like, just not that good, and now with, like, Innovator there, they are putting on events, they're doing a lot of things, and they are trying to cater towards like the digital nomad community, which is really nice. And uh, yeah. congratulations, you're speaking at their event uh, in a couple of weeks, which is great. Uh, it's Saturday, yeah. Yeah, Saturday. Oh, it's this Saturday. It's this Saturday, yeah. yeah. There's some really cool companies there as well. So you'll know well there's the company Acont, which is the courier service here, which is really mm-hmm. good. You know, I love sending things by Acont because it's it's just quick, you know, and it's it's, su- it's such a good little service. Uh, and then I discovered a brand uh, in Bansko when I was snowboarding this this winter called Stinky Socks. Uh, and it's just snowboarding and skiing socks, right? But they have some cool patterns and they're fun. And uh, the founder of Stinky Socks is also speaking at the event. And it's a great little, it's a little, you know, I say it's a little Bulgarian company. I mean, I don't know what their revenue is. They might be massive for all I know, but um yeah, it's, and, it's nice. And they, they have, they're based in Varna? No, I, I don't. I, I imagine not. I imagine they're based in Sofia. Um, mm-hmm. And then distributing, I, I imagine for them, started with the likes of Bansko, which is obviously the nearest major ski resort for that, uh, for, for, for them. But they, the point was that um, Innovator, you know, they're getting interesting entrepreneurs and interesting companies you know that's at, and for, mm-hmm. for 20 lev i think was the ticket price you know it's, it's a bargain you know you look at some to go and speak to similar types of people uh, or listen to similar types of people speak in other parts of of europe you know you're going to be charged 50 50 euros so i think at least yeah i, I think the the roi on on attending the event is is pretty good for people so hopefully yeah. They start to do a little bit more in English. Uh, it'd be nice to see a, a more international community there, uh, and I think that mm. that will lend itself well to the to the nomad uh, to the nomad group. But, yeah, I I totally agree. Um, let's talk about Flytro because this is your new baby. This is what you're doing now full time, and it's not like a little side project. I mean, you guys have some serious funding. Um, can you can you actually talk about that? I don't know if that's public knowledge. Can you like say how much you guys have raised, or, or is I can that... say we're we're still in the process of raising. Um, okay. So yeah, so we've got commitments of funding, um, and it's going really well. Uh, it actually went a lot better than I thought it would, and I guess that's a testimony to all the all that time I invested in, you know staying in agencies a little bit longer and, and equipping myself with all that knowledge. And it just seemed to pay off very quickly with this idea. Plus it's a good idea that people like to buy into very quickly uh, because of the uh, blending health, uh, mental wellness, you know, physical wellness and blending all of that with gaming, um, which is, uh, you know, easily stereotyped as, you know, an unhealthy activity and, and something that can become, mm. you know, addictive that people spend too much time doing. So, so the, the sales point, um, yeah, the, the, the sales pitch is, is, is the easy part with Flytro. Uh, almost everyone that we speak to loves it. So we, 
the way that I knew I wanted to raise funding for it. Um, I also knew I wanted to raise, um, uh, essentially it's preceded. So we started looking for funding before we uh, developed the app. Uh, so it's high risk investment. Uh, mm-hmm. So I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, but we, yeah, so, so it was about how best to showcase our idea, what we were doing, what our philosophy is uh, in the best possible way that would that would give us the best possible opportunity for investment. So what I did is I sort of identified uh, people in the esports industry who ha- are well-connected, well-respected, um, who can offer um, knowledge and information that I don't have. Um, you know, if you're running a company, you're never going to have all the answers, right? You're always going to need, you know, maybe an accountant or a lawyer or someone to check things, someone to proofread, you know, your articles and statements. And, uh, yeah, I set about bringing on uh, an esports advisor, which was uh, Michael O'Dell, uh, he was one of the first advisors that we brought on. And then, uh, so his background is he founded one of the first um, esports organizations. Is actually the one that sold to the 69ers, uh, Dignitas. The, the, the most important thing for us when we were going into the, to raising funding was to uh, put ourselves in the best possible position. So bringing on, for me, bringing on a board of advisors was the first thing that I absolutely wanted to do. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that is because it legit, it, you know, it's going to add further legitim- uh, legitimacy to what we're doing. It's going to add more credibility to what we're doing. Um, if there are key individuals in the esports industry uh, and the health side of that that believe in what we're doing, then it's going to add to the uh, reassure investors, especially with it being high risk, that you know uh, that there are key people. Uh, behind the company so we brought on uh michael um i was saying he's the founder of dignitas the esports organization which was the first one that sold to a traditional sports company uh 69ers then we brought on um craig fletcher who is the founder of multiplay uh which was a lan a lan event you know um an event where you know when I was growing up, you know, you'd take your computer to that event, you'd stay at the event for three or four days and you'd meet all these people that you've been playing with online all, all winter and all, all spring. Um, and you'd actually get to sit down and chill with them and share, you know, share the weekend with them and get to know them face to face. And that's the, that's one of the biggest gaming companies in the UK, uh, multiplay. Mm. Um, and he, I've been going to his events, since i was about 14 so i've also known craig a long long time uh we then um yeah the last advisor i hasn't we haven't signed yet but it's it's a it's a it's it's a done deal but we haven't signed the uh our our agreements yet um so i can't see that is so these advisors aren't coming in with cash, right? You're just giving them equity or some sort of incentive to exactly. be kind of like behind the company? Yeah, okay. so what I'm doing is, well, what I decided to do is give them sort of 1% uh, 
equity and that 1% wouldn't be diluted in the first round of mm-hmm. investment. And that was the deal. Uh, and in exchange for that, it's uh, a regular phone call, uh, a progress check. If I needed contacts or I needed uh, someone to, you know, I needed to get in touch with someone or I needed their specific advice uh, on a topic that they understand better than I do, then they're there to to help me out with that. And actually uh, bringing on a, those advisors has seriously helped me um, and reassured me, you know, because by, you know, doing this, it's not just high risk for an investor, it's high risk for yourself. Um, you know, all my, all my savings were going into this. Uh, and sometimes it's good to, to know, have an advisor on board or someone else that's investing, invested in the company and that they've got a percent to just sort of reassure you and say, you know, you're doing a good job. It's going in the right direction. You know, it's, uh, it's, we're on track. Um, Craig is also decided to invest as well. If somebody is a gamer and they're interested, they're listening to this and they're like, this sounds awesome. I want to get involved in this. Like I want to get signed up. The app is not finished yet. Right. But do you have an idea of when it will be finished and kind of like available for people to use? Yeah. So we're, we're in an alpha stage at the moment where users can download the app, uh, they link their gaming accounts with their with the data from their phone um so their activity and health stuff and that's it so that's the alpha so that then just starts submitting data to us and what that's allowing us to do is uh, improve the algorithms that actually show a data visualization and compare that information accurately so that we're not just throwing you know two random sets of data onto gra- onto graphs essentially and 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 putting it out there, which is what it kind of started out as, you know. Uh, and the more data we get back, the more we can improve how we visualize that data. So, so it is available if somebody wants to sign up for the alpha? Yeah, yeah, they, they can sign up now. Um, and the more the, the more users we get now, the better, really, because it's all helping improve those algorithms. But the, the open beta where they can start to play with the gamification side of it and start to see this visualization and see the tips and all that sort of stuff. We're looking at Christmas time. Oh, cool. That's not too far away. Yeah, yeah. So the the full release date is, is essentially April. We wanted it to be, you know, no longer than 12 months. So we've got a window between now and April where it will properly launch but the open beta will be free and then we'll start charging a subscription for improved uh, analytics and and that sort of thing in yeah in april next year awesome well you guys heard it if you're interested in this sort of thing go check out flytro what is the uh what is the best place where people can check out uh the app and then also like where they can read up about you or follow you on social or anything like that yeah the, we you can follow Flytro on Twitter, it's FlytroGG. Uh, and then the, the website is uh, flytro.gg or flytro.com. And the, all okay. the information's on there. And then uh, if uh, somebody wants to uh, come to Varna and uh, watch a Liverpool game and drink a beer with you, uh, where can they find you? <laughs> they can find me in the pub. Uh, there's a pub called The Three Lions, which is a very English name for a very Bulgarian pub. 
It's a very Bulgarian <laughs> pub, but you walk in and it's like walking into a, into a Liverpool museum. It's just Liverpool memorabilia everywhere you look. Uh, but it's a lovely little pub. The food's good. Uh, actually, interestingly, their the internet speed is really fast there. So I found myself in the summer doing a bit of, uh, you know, taking the laptop down there uh, and doing some work. Uh, which usually yeah, ends you're, you're writing off those things. Liverpool games as business, huh? I, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wish. I wish. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to uh, catching up next summer in Varna because um, you'll be there, right? Wait. Yeah, yeah, I'll be here. And you're in uh, Lisbon at the moment, right? I'm in or- Porto at the moment. Oh, Porto. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with all the Flytro stuff. Uh, I'm super excited to see where that goes. It's a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for having me.